You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. coaches. I am your host, Chrissy Beltran of Buzzing with Miss B, and I am so happy to welcome you to the podcast today. We're going to talk about some really big ideas today, okay? We're going to talk about coaching culture and a culture of learning and how we can actually build and create this culture. And I have an amazing guest who is going to help me really think through this idea so that we can give you the best possible information and you can apply it to your own campus and really build that culture that lends itself to coaching and learning and growth. So I'm so excited to welcome my guest today. Um, He's a really great person and I am lucky to be able to bring him to the podcast with you today. So I am so excited today to welcome JC Ippolito to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us today, JC. More than welcome. Happy to be here. I'm really excited about this conversation because, you know, in, in looking you up and just reading everything that you put out in the world, I just really appreciated all of it. So, <laughs> so oh, thanks so much. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's great information for coaches. And I feel like there's a positivity and an honesty to it. And I think that people are really going to benefit from that today. Oh, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. (laughs) It's definitely the spirit in which it's written. Oh, good. I can tell. It comes through. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So could you introduce yourself to our listeners and maybe tell a little bit about who you are, how you ended up doing this work that you're doing now, and what kind of work you mostly focus on? Absolutely. Sure. So um, again, my name is JC Ippolito. I am a professor of literacy and leadership at Salem State University um, School of Education, uh, Salem, Massachusetts of witch trial fame. And um, I'm currently the co-director of our educational leadership programs there. So we have a teacher leadership program and a principal preparation program. But I kind of have a foot in the world of literacy and a foot in the world of leadership. I uh, previously worked as a middle school reading specialist and literacy coach and drama teacher uh, in the Cambridge Public Schools, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, really throughout my professional career, I've kind of been focused on the roles of reading specialists and literacy coaches. I've always been interested in teacher leaders and those kind of uh, educators playing in between roles, right? Not formal principals, um, more than just kind of classroom teachers, uh, you know, educators who are trying to influence the practice of their colleagues. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my research and writing you know, books and articles really have focused in kind of three broad areas. Um, certainly literacy coaching specifically, um, but also adolescent literacy, disciplinary literacy. uh, You know, starting with my own time in middle schools, I've always been really fascinated with uh, what literacy development looks like beyond kind of the elementary grades. Mm -hmm. And then also I have this kind of real deep interest in uh, school change, leadership, uh, teacher leadership, and kind of the ways in which um, leaders at all levels influence school change. That's a little bit about me. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's and that's kind of what I found was I whenever I was I was researching was a lot about literacy. And that's dear to my heart. I was I was a literacy coach um, on a campus before I became a consultant. And um, I I love the middle school work because so much of it just kind of it seems like it just fizzles out after elementary, right? Um, We focus so much (laughs) on how to learn to read, how to read, how to read. Um, And and then it's just kind of like, okay, now we now they can read. So let's just 
make them read a lot of stuff. But <laughs> Well, that's just it. I mean, when I uh, finished my master's as a reading specialist, of, of course, I was looking for jobs in, you know, K, 1, 2, early literacy. Uh, that's where all the action was, right? <laughs> and, and, and when I was on the job market, um, you know, the jobs that popped up were all middle and high school specialist mm -hmm. positions. And uh, suddenly I found myself in a world of secondary literacy, uh, yeah. which ha has just been wonderful. That's, that's become my passion. That's great. Yeah, sometimes you just end up in the right spot. <laughs> 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 so one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about today is, is that something we talk a lot about whenever we think of schools and coaching work. And so we're talking about whether there's a coaching culture in, on a campus or not. What does a strong coaching culture look like? Sure. Um, I think this is such an important question. I'm really glad you asked about this because I think so often um, the, the theory of action that schools have with coaching is, well, we'll hire this heroic expert coach. We'll give them this job. We'll step back and let them do their work. And it's all going to be amazing. Right. And um, there's less attention given to this idea that we actually have to create a culture of coaching. We have to support um, this kind of collegial um, continual improvement work. And, and so I think there are a couple hallmarks of a, a strong coaching culture. I think one is that there is a theory of action in place that the principal, the coach, the leadership team, the literacy leadership team has actually sat down and, and thought about and talked about, maybe written down, you know, here's how we see the work of the coach and the work of the principal and teacher leaders all collectively working towards um, change and improvement, right? Mm -hmm. And and what what are the results we're expecting to see of this work? And how would we even know that it's quote unquote working, right? So so sitting down and, and specifying that theory of action is, is really important. And I think often, um, uh, leadership teams don't necessarily take the time to do that. They kind of just go that step of hiring the coach and then kind of stopping there. I think, I think another hallmark is a really strong principal coach relationship. Um, often a strong coaching culture is built on a foundation of a strong relationship between that coach and principal or, or principal and multiple coaches where, you know, the coaches are meeting regularly with the principal. The principal is, um, partnering with them, kind of, you know, shooting ideas back and forth, guiding the work, um, clarifying the role for everyone in the building. Um, that's really kind of the work of the principal. Um, in buildings where there isn't a strong culture, you often find that the principal hasn't, you know, maybe kind of partnered as closely with the coaches as, as we would have liked. Um, I think another piece is widespread collaboration, right? So that it's not just this model of a heroic coach, you know, on their own fighting the good fight. It really is, you know, the teachers across grades and across classrooms working together in professional learning communities or in teams, um, looking at student work, you know, talking with each other about practice. That That's really kind of a, a hallmark of a, a collaborative coaching kind of atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, a couple other things. One is use of data. I, I think that schools that are using data really wisely and data in its largest form, right? Not just kind of standardized test scores, but uh, looking at student work, um, screening, you know, diagnostic data, benchmark data, um, really kind of digging into how are our students doing on all different, in all different domains from, you know, to reading, vocabulary, writing, and, um, and feeding that back into their improvement process. Um, 
And then I think there's a, a piece around distributed leadership, right? That, you know, I, I look for schools that have a strong culture of teacher leadership, right? And how those teacher leaders are partnering with the coach. Uh, again, for me, it all comes back to the coach, not just being on their own, trying to kind of do all the heavy lifting. Um, I, I've done a lot of work over the years. I've been very fortunate to, to work with uh, Dr. Rita Bean, who's one of the kind of uh, really giants in the field of, of coaching and, and reading specialists. And she and I have a framework of effective coaching where we talk about these four elements, right, of culture, differentiation for adults, um, paying attention to individuals and systems at the same time, and then adopting coaching mindsets, right? That it's not just the coach that thinks like a coach, but in a, in a really strong coaching culture, all the adults are focused on how they can lead the work and facilitate conversations, design instruction together, and how they can advocate for students' um, literacy success. Yeah. So those are, I think those are all kind of pieces of a, of a strong coaching culture. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's just, it sounds so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> if only that were every school. Right? Exactly. Yeah, because we've all worked in schools where that just is not in place. Um, or maybe <laughs> elements of it are, but others not so much. And, and that's right. That that's right. This intercollegiality that you're talking about is just so important. Um, because people like to talk about like vertical alignment or grade level alignment, but it's so much more than that. It's not just about that, you know, curriculum builds on itself, but that we can engage in real talk and dialogue about you know, the practice of teaching and what it looks like and what works and what is a challenge for us and where we can grow and what patterns we're seeing. And, um, and that's, that's, that's right. Whenever all the good stuff happens. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. So within this model of, of, you know, these, these hallmarks that you established, what is the instructional coach's role within that framework? Because you kind of mentioned having a strong relationship with the administration, um, you know, making sure that teachers are, are being um, kind of lifted up as teacher leaders, you know, what are some things that instructional coaches can be doing? Right, right. You know, this, this is where I really point to the um, recent standards for um, specialized literacy professionals uh, by the International Literacy Association. Um, I was very fortunate to be one of the um, lead writers for one of those standards, standard six around professional learning. And, you know, I, I think that those standards really clearly outline um, the ways in which a coach can um, operate within a school and, and the kinds of knowledge and skills that coaches need to have. Right. And so, you know, those six um, uh, standards focus on, you know, foundational knowledge and literacy development, right? Coaches obviously need to have kind of a, a deep expertise in, in literacy development of students across ages and grades. Expertise in curriculum and instruction, right? How to design uh, instructional tasks that work and, and that support literacy development. Expertise in assessment and evaluation, right? How do we um, assess where students are at and, and use that data to design instruction? Um, expertise in diversity and equity and how we support all learners, whether it's English learners, whether it's, um, you know, students who are coming from, um, you know, impoverished households, you know, all, all the different ways that we think about diversity. Um, learners and the literacy environment, right? So how do we establish kind of a literacy environment that's rich, not only in our classrooms, but also partnering with parents and in the community? And then lastly, a great deal of knowledge, and I think this last bucket is what we mostly think of when we think of coaches, is, is a great deal of knowledge around facilitation, leading professional learning, um, thinking about adults as learners, um, thinking about adult development as actually part of their work, right? We're not just kind of teaching adults, we're helping them develop as learners themselves. 
And so given those standards, you know, I, I think that coaches play this in-between role. They're, they're both a, um, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, interrupted by a phone call. Oh, sorry. I think, I think uh, coaches play this in-between role where they are both a support and um, expert for the principal to lean on, right? You know, ideally principals are turning to the coach to say, what do you think? How should we move forward with our program with, you know, improving literacy instruction in the building? They're also this huge support for teachers. Um, and, you know, they, they are both kind of driving the instructional change and they're also responding to what teachers need. And so I, I think coaches are often the glue in, in the school when it's all going well, right? They're the ones that are kind of, you know, um, holding things together as, as the school tries to move forward with its uh, literacy agenda. Yeah, that's such a great, I, I like that analogy um, because they are, because they're in the middle, right? And they are binding <laughs> all these different individuals together. Um, that's, I love it. So I'm sure that coaches already have an idea if there's a, a lack of a coaching culture on their campus. Um, but what are some signs that the coaching culture is lacking? Sure. Yeah. For me, going into a school where there's little agreement about the role of the coach, um, where, you know, if you were to ask three different teachers, what does the coach do? And then you ask the principal, what does the coach do? And they all have very different answers. I think that is one of the signs uh, that maybe the coaching culture isn't kind of as strong as it could be. Mm -hmm. um, I, I worry sometimes when coaches are too, um, they're spread too thin. Um, you, you know, the work kind of isn't concentrated or there's not a plan in place to help the coach rotate either from grade level to grade level or group to group of teachers. And, and the expectation is, oh, well, we have... 70 teachers and, and this one coach should be able to meet with all of them, right? <laughs> um, to me, that's where like that theory of action just isn't specified, right? We haven't really sat down to think about how is this work going to get done? Mm -hmm. um, so having a really clear coaching schedule in place is important. If there isn't that coaching schedule, um, that makes me a little nervous. Um, a lot of strong coaching culture schools you'll go into and, and, you know, the coach can pull out this beautiful color coded chart of how they're spending their time. And you say, okay, great. This is something that the principal and the teachers and the coach have all kind of agreed on. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think lastly, and I've, I've mentioned this already, this is, you'll hear me say this over and over. If there isn't a strong principal coach relationship, you know, if, if, the, if the coach says something like, I don't really see the principal very often, or I have trouble kind of um, connecting with them. Um, uh, early on, and actually coming out of my dissertation, I wrote a, a short article um, around uh, coaches partnering with principals, right? How principals partner with coaches. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it, it's free online as a PDF. And, and, and really what I found there is that um, some principals kind of micromanage and they're kind of, you know, really every step the coach takes, they're kind of right there. And it's like a little too close for comfort. Other principals are really too hands off and they kind of assume, well, the coach knows what they're doing. I'm just going to let them do it. And I don't need to check in. And, and that sweet spot in the middle, right? The partnering principal is the one who is meeting regularly with the coach, helping the coach to shape the agenda. Mm -hmm. um, but is also trusting the coach to kind of do the work and giving the coach lots of room to, to work and, and is, um, you know, giving feedback to the coach, of course, but um, is also listening right? And listening to what the coach is recommending in terms of next steps. 
Yeah. So the, the administrator, like some practical things that administrators can do towards that um, would be having these regular meetings, having a clearly defined role, creating like, like a coaching schedule to, to kind of figure out how the coach is actually going to meet the needs of all of those people. Um, what are some other things that an administrator can do? To yeah. Uh, principles play a huge role in the success of a coaching model. Um, so, you know, clearly defining the coach's role, I think, is the, the first and most important thing a principal can do. Um, sitting down with a coach, sitting down with the literacy leadership team, writing that job description, writing that role. I, I often recommend to coaches to have that description as well as a menu of services that says very clearly, here's what I can offer to you, you know, that goes out to teachers. And, um, you know, uh, whether you talk about it as like appetizers and main course and dessert or whether, you know, you, 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 people talk about it in all different ways, but getting that menu of services out and the principal really is well positioned to help craft that and then also message it, right? To, to get it out to the teachers and not just once. Some principals I've worked with, um, they say, yeah, great. First, first faculty meeting of the year, I, I sent out that role description and said, great, try to connect with the coach. And I say, no, it, like every newsletter you send, you know, have a, a coaching corner in your newsletter. Have, you know, highlight the coach's work. Um, keep messaging to teachers that this is an important part of how we operate as a school. Continual adult learning and professional development. Mm -hmm. um, so that clear definition over and over again. I think another piece that is is complicated but important is the the ways in which um, principals hold teachers accountable for coaching work, mm -hmm. and the coach acts as a support. I, I talk about it sometimes as as the carrot and the stick, right? You know, the principal's the stick and the coach is the carrot, and so coaches uh, often are are unfortunately put in the position where a principal will say. Uh, so-and-so in, in this classroom, I think is really struggling. You know, I, I'm going to need you to, to change your schedule and spend much more time in that person's classroom. Yeah. We, uh, if you've ever been a coach, you've gotten a, a message like that from Absolutely. a principal probably. Yes, more and, than once. <laughs> more than once. And, and it's, it's understandable why a principal would want that, right? Because here's a teacher maybe who they see is struggling. They want to put this coach as a support there. But that really does send this message that coaching is about fixing Yes. You know, teachers. And and instead, you know, I really talk with principals about, again, setting up that culture of coaching and saying coaching is is going to be for everyone. We all do it. It's all part of our work. Um, and, you know, setting up a really kind of clear rotating schedule. That doesn't mean that there can't be times when um, a fire pops up and the coach has some flex time built into their weekly schedule to kind of, you know, handle fires. But um it's really the principal who in the evaluation process has to say, you know, to a teacher, I'm really hoping that you'll work more on fluency, or I'm really, I'm really seeing a need maybe for some more vocabulary work. You know, why don't you connect with the coach and talk a little bit more about that? If that's something, you know, we want to work on, if we're going to put in your, you know, in, into your personal professional goals for the year, um, that positions the coach to be the support and not the, um, you know, the one holding teachers accountable. Uh, I, I think I think separating those roles really clearly is important and a principal needs to, to make that uh, move. 
Yes, I completely agree with that. And it really is all in the delivery from the principal about how they're going to use that coach in that situation, that they are a valuable tool that can support the teacher in their work, or that they are, you know, like something they, they are now required to do to check off of their list. And, you know, <laughs> and because they were, they're clearly, you're, you're, the, the implication is you're struggling, you need help. You, this is the person that's going to fix you. And so, yeah, that's, that is hugely problematic. Absolutely. Teachers need to feel really comfortable talking with a coach uh, and also knowing that the coach isn't going right back to the principal and, and you know, kind of revealing all of the, uh, you know, uh, hesitancies or worries. Um, so, you know, if, if the principal kind of maintains a bit of that boundary, then the coach can build that strong relationship with teachers. Yes. And, and do so much more effective coaching because then teachers are more likely to, you know, buy in and be excited and try something new instead of feeling like they're just they're being punished. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So one thing that I, I know I really struggled with is a, a, like finding a balance in, um, and I had seen that you wrote an article about balancing directive and responsive coaching. Right. I feel like as, as a literacy coach, because we are tied to really specific best practices, not necessarily like programs, but best practices, you know, we know, we know what they are. And when we don't see them happening in classrooms, we are like, okay, we need to address this. So, but we're always going back and forth between, you know, how much do I, how much do I put out there initially? What is, do we, am I creating um, like a program with the school? Is that what we're, are we building a program or am I just responding to what I see in each classroom or um, how much is it, uh, is individuality playing here? And I just feel like that was a real challenge, especially for a literacy coach instructional coaches have that issue to a degree, but I feel like literacy coaches have it, especially because we know so much about the good teaching of reading and writing. Right. Right. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, is it a, is it a challenge to have a specific framework whenever literacy coaches are working with a faculty or is that something they should build together or, you know, could you just kind of get into that a little bit because that was always right. a challenge that I had. Absolutely. Um, a, a quick shout out. I, I think actually elementary math coaches find themselves in this situation quite often too. Um, you know, I, I, so I obviously I was really fascinated with this um, topic. Uh, it's something I've, I've researched and written about. Um, and the the coaches that I, I followed and studied, you know, really, I think said it well that they feel most effective and they see the most progress with teachers when they're able to balance this um, kind of directive or responsive mode of coaching, right? Directive being kind of, I'm going to, you know, in your classroom, I'm going to kind of give you advice. I'm going to give you suggestions, strong suggestions of the kinds of practices you should be adopting that might come with a particular program or framework that the school or district might be adopting. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes schools and districts use coaches to roll out new programs and frameworks, right? right. And, and the coaches are the ones doing the professional development Sometimes coaches are um, unintentionally linked with a program. When the coach says, I I'm pretty agnostic about programs, it's just that that's the program I happen to be introducing right now from the district. So that's really kind of directive coaching, whereas um, we talk about responsive coaching as that more kind of cognitive coaching stance, where I'm here as a coach to help you develop in the ways you want to develop. What kinds of practices do you want to work on? What, you know, what are your goals for the year? How can I help you achieve those goals? That's where you're really responding to teachers. And, you know, the coaches I worked with really signaled clearly that it was some balance of those two stances that um, helped them kind of achieve what they saw as, as success. Um, 
And I, I, I think there is a bit of a trajectory there. Um, oftentimes coaches would start a bit more directive in a situation where there is a framework or program that was needing to be introduced. They'd kind of introduce it. They'd do professional learning around it. And then over time, they'd say, now we're in a place where we're kind of refining and, and tweaking, and I can respond much more to the kind of work that you'd like to do. So I think that's one way to balance is kind of over time. Um, I think that there's another consideration here, which is really kind of an adult development consideration, kind of where a teacher is in their career and their practice. Yeah. Um, sometimes early on, a teacher really wants that expert advice from the coach and says, you know, please tell me what to do. I haven't done interactive read alouds before. I haven't really done a lot of fluency or word work. What should I do? What should I be reading? What are, what are the best practices? Mm -hmm. um, and you can be a little bit more directive in that kind of relationship as a coach. Um, you know, with teachers who are more veteran in their careers, they've tried lots of different practices. They have, um, you know, a, a lot of expertise uh, in, in the domain of literacy. You can be a bit more responsive there as a coach, right? And you can kind of say, great, well, you show me the ways in which you're doing word work and let's kind of refine it together. You know, mostly, you know, those teachers are interested, I think, in refinement. They, they, you know, they might be wedded to a certain practice, but they also want what's best for their students and are open often, I think, to um, hearing uh, the kind of coaching comments of, well, that, that seems to be working. What could make it even more powerful? Is there something that would make it even more effective? Can we explore that together in a coaching cycle? Um, so I think there are uh, some responsive directive considerations that are really related to who the teacher is in front of you. Um, I think there's another piece of this that is related to whether you're working with individuals or groups. Um, so, you know, I often say to coaches, it's important across your weeks and months to have a balanced kind of diet of, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, small group and a whole group kind of maybe full school even professional learning experiences. And, you know, when you're working one-on-one, -on -one, you can be much more responsive, right? When you're working whole school, that's an opportunity to be a bit more directive and say, you know, here are some best practices around, um, you know, comprehension instruction. Great. When you're working one-on-one, -on -one, that's where you say, um, so tell me a little bit about what you're doing and let's start there and work from where you are, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think there's a bit of the responsive directive uh, balance that, that shifts depending on your group size. Um, and then I think it also shifts over the relationship you have with the teacher. Uh, Rita, Rita Bean and I talk about what we call levels of intensity in coaching. And, you know, that first level being relationship building and that second level being analyzing practice and the third level being changing and transforming practice, making it public. And, um, you know, across those three levels, you know, in some ways you can kind of dance back and forth between being responsive and directive. Mm -hmm. At first, when you're building that relationship, maybe you're going to be pretty responsive. You know, just tell me about what's going on in your classroom. I just want to observe. I want to get to know you and your students. As you're starting to analyze practice, you can be a little more directive. Um, I've found over time the use of protocols to be hugely important. Um, you know, discussion-based protocols where you have a couple different steps that you're taking. Whether you call it a protocol, whether you call it an agenda, um, it, it is just a, a series of steps that allow you and the teacher to have a particular kind of conversation and get pretty deep into the work pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And so when you're putting together your protocol, when you're putting together your agenda, you can build in some directive steps 
and some responsive steps, right? Well, you know, you can do some mirroring of what you hear the teacher saying. Mm-hmm. You can also say, well, here's a step where let me, you know, if I were in your shoes, here are some things I might be trying, right? And so you can be a little more directive at times. But that protocol introduces a little bit of safety into the conversation. Yeah. Those are a few ways. I like that. And that actually, um, it clarifies it by making clear how um, imprecise it is, <laughs> if that makes any sense, because it is a balance and you are responding to individuals and to groups and to what's happening on your campus and everything. It looks different at different points in the year and at different points in a new framework. Um, and so I, I really like that answer because it's really about just responding to what is happening on your campus and making sure that you're pulling from these different approaches in a, in a way that's going to be effective. Right. Right. Well, I like that. And, and just being attentive to the outside pressures, right? You know, there are district pressures and school pressures um, around improving performance and around, you know, particular programs or frameworks. And there are times when as a coach, you need to, um, you know, align yourself with those programs and frameworks and help gently introduce them. There's times where you also may, as a coach, need to protect your teachers a little bit from <laughs> some of those initiatives and say, right. okay, you know, I understand there's a new initiative, there's a new framework, there's a new program. Um, let's, let's work together to see how we can integrate that with what you've been doing before, right? We don't need to throw everything out and start over from scratch, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very true. You kind of serve as a buffer um, whenever things that's right. come up hike and it can be really stressful um, to teachers. And so we can sometimes sort of help them see what they've already got going on. So this doesn't feel like everything is brand new. Right. Yeah. Right. So are there any requisite decisions? And you kind of mentioned, um, you know, f- figuring out the role, defining the role to me, that's a huge requisite decision. Um, but are there requisite decisions that need to be made in order to create a foundation for a strong culture? And who right. all makes those decisions? Like, is this a teacher right. buy-in thing? Is this like an administration leadership team thing? Or what does that look like? So um, in addition to some of the things I've said before, I'll try to touch on a couple new areas here. I, I actually have um, found that the decision of who the coach works with is, I think, one that needs to be part of that theory of action and really part of the conversation with the principal from the very beginning. Um, I, I, I've seen instances where the um, the coach kind of trying to go door to door, classroom to classroom, and and build a book of business and and you know, quote unquote, get buy-in. I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the phrase buy-in because it always feels like a, you're kind of trying to sell something. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I, that's, you know, no fault. We always, I think we all use it. It's, it's a, oh, yeah, a phrase it's, in, it's, in it's the profession. Of, yeah, it's one of those education terms that gets It's one of these talk. education terms. Yes. And, and so, you know, with the principals and coaches I work with, you know, I, I talk about how can you as a coach principal pair talk with the faculty about what the purpose of coaching is, you know, it's to lift the level of work for everyone. Mm -hmm. It's not about fixing particular teachers. Um, It's not punitive. And in, in, I think the best case scenarios, it's not voluntary. It's actually something that is part of the work of the school, the way that attending any professional learning would be kind of mandatory. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I also understand there's lots of union considerations. And so sometimes uh, the, a uh, teacher contract is not set up in a way that a principal can say, guess what? Coaching is mandatory, right? You know, th- um, but I think that there are ways that a principal can, even in those situations, um, suggest to teachers that this is really for the betterment of all of us. And um, 
you know, no, I'm not going to take away a prep period or I'm not going to, you know, impose it in a way that's going to be uh, tough for you. But I, it, it is my kind of assumption and expectation that everyone will connect with the coach in some way or another. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I've talked with the coaches about, you know, that doesn't mean you're doing a, a six week coaching cycle with every single teacher in the building, right? You know, some teachers might have contact with you only in whole school professional learning. Some might have contact with you during PLC. Some might have that one-on-one -on -one contact. And, and how can you rotate over time to make sure you're kind of touching all corners of the school? Yeah. I think those decisions have to be made really up, up front with the principal. Mm -hmm. I think it connects to a coach's schedule. I think a coach's schedule really, though the coach should be in control of it and should, you know, be allowed to make changes and, and swap in and out pieces, the building blocks of that schedule, I think, should be negotiated up front. Um, mm -hmm. Things like, is a coach meeting with teachers before school or after school? Or is that off limits? Is, is a coach meeting with teachers during their prep periods? Is there um, collaborative professional learning time that's built into the school schedule? Right. And is that fair game for the, the coach to be working with teachers during that time? Or is there some other time, right? Negotiating all of that upfront with the principal and then clarifying that with the whole faculty will make things so much uh, better in terms of a coaching culture. Um, as opposed to a coach, you know, you know, quietly knocking on doors and saying, Hey, can I see you today? Right. You know, hat in hand, um, <laughs> and which we've all done. Right. I mean, I, I think most of us probably, I certain, I certainly started my coaching career that way, kind of knocking on classroom doors and Hey, do you, do you want to hang out for a little bit and talk about <laughs> literacy? You know, and it's like, you know, you're, you're hoping someone uh, gives you a call. And, and so I think setting up some of those uh, expectations around what does coaching look like in our school and and making that clear the whole building right up front and and re-messaging it right you have let's be honest coaches roles do shift over time certainly during the pandemic right now um uh coaches are working in a hugely different variety of ways um so principals have to keep messaging and re-messaging what coaching looks like and what it looks like now um and so i i think that's one of the, the big pieces yeah, I, I think that's it's immensely important because if you don't have a framework of what your role is supposed to look like from your administration, and then you're trying to initiate work with teachers, you have no leg to stand on really um, right. because you don't know what's okay. Is it okay for me to pop in and visit classrooms? Like, right. un, like unannounced or is that not okay? Is it okay for me to, um, to ask teachers to meet with me during their conference or is that not okay? And so, yeah, you have kind of, you have to have those boundaries around coaching or else you're going to get a lot of complaints very quickly and you're going to undo all the relationships that you're trying to build because there's no standard for what that looks like. That's right. I think, I think unfortunately, um, sometimes we rely on the charisma of the coach to carry the right. day. You know, the principal says, well, you know, Jace is a good guy. You know, Chrissy's awesome. You know, everyone's going to want to work with them. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> that would be great, but <laughs> it would be great if it worked that way. But, uh, you know, really, there needs to be a clearer message than that. Yes, I totally agree with that. So in addition to having an unclear vision or including that, what are some hurdles that coaches face as they're trying to build this culture or as they're collaborating with administration to try to build this culture in a new school? Sure. I think when you're setting up a coaching model, um, there's a couple big hurdles or, or pitfalls, right? I, I think one is when 
and we've touched on this a lot, right? If a principal doesn't necessarily understand or support coaching as a, as a role, uh, or who doesn't really know how to deploy a coach in that way, that's a, that's a big hurdle to overcome. And, and sometimes you have to, um, coach up, right? I, I talk with coaches about coaching up that, you know, of course you're coaching teachers. You may also still be working with students. Many coaches still work with students one-on-one or small groups or classes. But I think what we talk about less often is how coaches have to manage up and they have to actually sit down with the principal or maybe district administration and say, oh, so what is my, you know, what is my job description? What is my role? Here's a draft I've written. Can we look at it together, right? Um, here's a draft schedule. Can we take a look at that? Um, let's talk about the theory of action. You know, how is the work I'm doing going to translate into improved, um, you know, outcomes for kids? Let's kind of map that out a little bit. And, and so, um, if you're lucky and have a principal who has a background in literacy or who kind of really has this kind of teacher leader kind of vision, you might be perfectly positioned. Otherwise you might find yourself in, in, in that um, space where you're doing a lot of coaching up. Yeah. Um, I think one of the other big hurdles often, and um, I certainly experienced this, I think a lot of us, I mean, I started off as a reading specialist and then transitioned into a coaching role. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, tricky uh, at first because in, in part, there are always some teachers who say, you know, boy, it's, uh, it's great that you're a coach now, but can you just work with this one student, right? You know, no, I understand you're here to work with me as a teacher, but really what I want is for you to work with a small group in the back of the room, right? And it so- It really help me is if you could just take care of these kids, yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a tough place to be because of course you wanna work with the kids and you have that skill set too. And sometimes you do work with the kids or you say, yeah, sure. I'll make some copies for you or I'll do whatever I need to, to help you in this moment. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, if teachers or principals sometimes, um, default to that too often, they're actually undermining the coaching model uh, unintentionally. Right. Right. And so I think that that can be, um, that can be a hurdle. Um, I think that, uh, just one other thing here. I, I, I think that a hurdle can be going too fast, um, trying to go too far too fast. You know, with all good intentions, I think sometimes coaches jump into the deep end of, you know, let's let's do, you know, month-long coaching cycles and we're going to, you know, you, you kind of dig into this really intensive work. And that's where, um, you know, I think Rita Bean and I talk a lot about those levels of intensity, right? That, you know, you, you want to start off soft. You want to start off with, you know, building those relationships getting to know the teachers, um, taking a look at practice together, um, building in some routines, using some simple protocols before you kind of, you know, get into the deep end of really um, trying to transform someone's practice, right? Um, So, you know, that the old adage of going slow to go far, I I think really does apply to coaching work in in this way. Is there something that you can recommend that coaches could do to kind of take the temperature of their teachers or um, get kind of a sense of, because I know that one of the issues that I had whenever I first started coaching is I thought because we were in the same district, we were using the same practices because the district right. was cramming these practices down our throats for years. So I thought it was pretty standard. And then I went and coached at a school that I had never taught at. And that was not happening there. And that was, I was like, oh, so everything I'm saying is brand new. So this is, I was going faster than I thought. If that right. makes sense. <laughs> it makes it makes perfect sense, and, and I think we see that um, 
we see that widespread where mm -hmm. multiple schools in a district um, who are all saying we're using the same curriculum, we're using the same frameworks, mm -hmm. and then you actually step into classrooms and things look pretty different, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think there's a couple ways to take the temperature, right? Um, I, you know, certainly I, I've been thinking a lot this year during the pandemic about virtual ways to do that. Um, and I've seen coaches have a lot of success with, you know, simple Google forms, little surveys that they send out to kind of get a snapshot of, you know, a, a list of practices, you know, on a scale of one to five. Um, how often do you use these practices? How comfortable do you feel with these practices? It could be anonymous, you know, um, just as a way of seeing, okay, what's happening in classrooms? Um, obviously, it would be great to do some classroom walks, right? Some kind of instructional rounds or to, you know, actually do some walkthroughs, whether it's on your own, whether it could be with a teacher team, could be with a principal, depends on everyone's comfort level. But seeing instruction is going to give you the most information. Um, I'm a big fan of informational interviews. So if a coach is new to a building, setting up some time to do either some small group or one-on-one -on -one informational interviews to just get to know teachers a little bit and ask them those questions of, you know, what do you feel really um, comfortable with and strong with in terms of literacy instruction? Is there anything that you'd like to work on or anything that you feel less comfortable with? Um, it, it, it's one of the hallmarks of a coaching culture, how forthcoming people will be about their weaknesses, right? right. So I think in these strong coaching um, cultures, teachers will be very um, quick to say, here's what I feel comfortable with. Here's what I'm working on. And I'd love your help with it, right? I think it, it, in cultures where um, teachers are much more guarded about their practice, then that that in itself is a piece of information for you as a coach, right? You say, ah, okay, people here aren't really maybe used to or comfortable with sharing uh, their practices. And so, okay, maybe that's something that we need to just start with at a, at a kind of a, a base level. How do I um, start to set up some routines where teachers can even just in a peer coaching model of two teachers, you know, um, partnering and saying, okay, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I'm working on. How did it go for you? You know, um, trying to set up some of those routines to build some uh, collaborative muscles uh, to then build on mm -hmm. uh, through your coaching work. Yeah. Those, all those ideas sound very helpful. And I wish that I had done some of them. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, this is, yeah, this is all hindsight, right? I'm not right. saying I did any of this as a coach. <laughs> these are, these are all things I've discovered uh, from watching expert coaches over the last, yes. uh, you know, this is do over stuff. 15 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So if a coach has been at a school for a while, and this, and this has just been this ongoing struggle for them, and they're really realizing that there is not a culture of coaching established, what can they do? Because if there's not a culture of coaching established, chances are the principal is not really on board right. completely with that. So what can the coach actually initiate to change that? Right. So um, you see this a lot, I think. And I, I always say it, it, it's always... Um, there's good intentions all around, right? And, and oftentimes the principal has great intentions and may not necessarily know the ways in which um, they are um, not kind of fully promoting the coaching model. And so I, 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 do, I do think the coaches should always start with the principal, even if a, a coach thinks, well, the principal isn't really engaged in this coaching work. I think that's where the managing up 
um, happens, you know, show up, you know, set a meeting, show up with a draft description of your work with a, 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 you know, a menu of services with your draft schedule and say, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Um, you know, I just need a little um, support from you in terms of messaging it out to teachers, right? You know, letting the principal know really clearly what you need from them to make things work. Um, I do think that that menu of services goes a long way. Uh, even if you don't have kind of the principal's full um, engagement with the work, if you turn to the teachers and you have this kind of menu of services that you say, here's what I can offer you, and I'm willing to kind of offer any part of this menu. I can, do, I can show up with resources. I can show up and watch instruction. I can come and co-teach with you. I, you know, here's the whole range of things I can do with you. Um, I think that that's helpful. I think, you know, having that levels of intensity chart that Rita and I have and, and kind of looking to see, okay, you know, if what's, if what I'm doing right now isn't working, can I step down a level of intensity and maybe, you know, build that relationship a little bit more? Um, I think sometimes, and this is a funny thing to say, but I think sometimes looking for whatever the new initiative is in the school and um, figuring out a way with, in a new initiative to kind of rebrand your coaching work. Um, I've, I've seen some schools and coaches really kind of have a renaissance with coaching when a new program framework initiative comes down the road. And I'll, I'll actually point to the early pandemic as an example of this. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, actually, Rita Bean and I are doing a, a study right now of coaches during the pandemic. And you hear from coaches saying things like, you know, I, I felt like things were stagnating a little bit. And then the pandemic hit and suddenly all of these teachers who weren't as excited to talk to me before are picking up the phone or they're getting onto Zoom and they're saying, help, you know, I, I need some guidance on how to set up Google Forms and how to use, you know, Pear Deck and, and all of these different tools that we've, we've all become familiar with this year. And, and so that's an opportunity, right? When, when suddenly um, there's a need that arises, how can coaches kind of step into that? space and demonstrate that their um, facilitative skill set is is really greatly needed. Um, I know for myself, that was, you know, back in the day, that was around writing workshop when writing workshop was kind of really, you know, flowering and, and the principal and I talked about, okay, you know, there are classrooms we haven't really gotten into, but now they have to do writing workshop. So this is an opportunity to kind of say, okay, I know you, you have to get up and running with this. Let me help you do that. And then those are teachers who you form a strong relationship with. Yeah, we just have to be able to look on the lookout for opportunities. I think and that's right. That's right. We are. Um, it's been, I mean, it, the pandemic has been absolutely terrible, but it certainly was an opportunity for certain people to suddenly value technology support in a way that maybe they hadn't before. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 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 So before the school year starts, you know, over the summer, as people are thinking about what they can do to kind of initiate, you know, at the beginning of the school year and kind of set a good foundation for, for coaching culture, what are some things that they should, should keep in mind that they should do, like to be prepared for this, you know, things that they can prepare over the summer or things that they could set up like a checklist at the beginning of the year that they actually want to, you know, like, this is what I want to make sure that I get done the first month or that I implement. Um, what can they do to have that already? Right, right. Um, so actually, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the two links for this. Maybe um, they'll be helpful to others. There, there are two blog posts that Rita Bean and I wrote. Um, one is about questions that principal coach pairs 
should ask each other at the end of the school year as they head into the summer. And then questions to ask and answer over the summer as you're getting ready for the next year. And I, I think both are important. Um, I, think, I think it's really important to reflect at the end of the year as a principal coach pair, what went well, um, you know, what's really working, what you know, were the challenges that we faced and how did we face them and, and how could we do something a little bit differently next year. Mm -hmm. um, and then the questions for the upcoming year, we actually grouped those questions into four big buckets. Um, questions about literacy, teaching, and learning goals. What are the goals this year? Let's focus our goals, right? Let's not try to do everything all at once. Mm -hmm. Let's pick a few goals for the upcoming year that we really want to make some progress with as a school or as, you know, as certain grade levels. Um, let's kind of agree on those and let's talk with the teacher teams about those. Um, so that's one bucket. The second bucket is literacy assessment work. You know, where do we stand with our assessment practices? How do we know if our students are making the progress that we want? Are there any assessment practices that we need to add or to tweak? I think the third bucket is questions about the coach's role and the interrelationships between coaches and specialists, interventionists. How are we working as kind of a team of specialists? Um, is there anything that we need to tweak in those roles and responsibilities? Is there anything that we need to clarify with um, the faculty? And then the fourth bucket is really about um, communication and um, thinking more broadly about the school as a place of adult and student learning. So, it, it, you know, what are the things that we can be doing to make the coaching a strong cornerstone of our larger professional learning kind of enterprise, right? And so kind of asking ourselves, you know, for example, like what feedback loops exist right now in the school so that teachers, teacher leaders, specialists, coaches are all kind of staying in constant communication. And, you know, when students maybe aren't performing the way we would like, that information gets kind of filtered to all the people who need to know it. And we can kind of get into that design mindset and, and come up with some solutions then and there. So it, I think it really kind of outlines these areas for coaches and principals to review. And uh, um, like I said, I'll send you those links so that um, others, maybe your readers um, might be interested in, in kind of um, looking through some of those questions. That would be great. It, it, it was really those blog posts that then inspired Rita and I to write the second book, this Unpacking Coaching Mindsets. And it, it's a very short book that is a companion to the much longer cultivating coaching mindsets. And, and the unpacking coaching mindsets really is meant to be given to the principal. Um, it's this short little book. It has all the kind of um, kind of bare bones from the much larger book that I, I would recommend to coaches themselves. Interesting. And, and actually the unpacking coaching mindsets book ends with a chapter filled with questions that coaches and principals should ask each other and should keep kind of on their agenda to talk about every time they meet. And, and, you know, those are um, the backbone for that, you know, once a month or twice a month meeting that the coach and principal should really be having kind of across the school year. That is so fascinating. I like, and that would be a great gift if, <laughs> if you're looking right. for a gift for your principal. That's right. It just shows up in the principal's mailbox. I don't know how that got there, but yeah. now that it's there, let's talk about coaching. <laughs> let's, let's get in here. Let's dig into these questions. Yeah, <laughs> that could be great. Um, so this has been so wonderful and you've shared so many great things. Um, but I want to know if coaches only walk away with one idea, if they forget everything and only remember one thing, what should it be? 
I think so much of the enterprise of coaching is about the coach principal relationship. Um, and, and I know I've said it a bunch during this time, but I think when we talk about coaches, when we work as coaches, our minds are always going to the coach teacher relationship, which of course is, is, you know, the heart of all coaching work. But I think we forget about the power and strength of that coach principal relationship Mm -hmm. and all that it can offer in terms of a stronger coaching culture. Yes. Yeah, that is so important. And it is, you know, whenever you're getting hired, you don't always know where you're going to end up. And, um, and that can, that can really make or break a program, your, your administration. So I think that is, those are such important things to think about. And, um, and I love that you have the, that bank of questions that people can use to communicate with their administrators and really make sure that they're, at least that they understand each other and that, you know, maybe they're not on the same page with everything, but at least the, the coach will know what is being expected. That's you right. Know, what, you know, what is being shared with teachers? How am I being, that's right. you know, so that's, that's excellent. And it's particularly important if the coach is your, uh, if the principal is your evaluator as a coach, yeah. right? Some coaches have evaluators that are district-based, um, in which case it's, it's also really important to kind of circle back to the principal. Um, yeah, it, 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 you're making me think about this. I had a friend who started coaching a few years before I did, and I asked her, how's it going? And she goes, you know, it's like one of those things that you think you're doing what you're supposed to do. And then you talk to your principal and you find out maybe you're not doing what you're supposed to do. <laughs> And she was being very earnest. She just was like, I'm not getting clear information. So I don't know if I'm doing this role right. So that's, that's really, that's really frustrating. And it's nice to know that those are some strategies people can use to kind of avoid that um, and to, and to ensure that their schools are going to grow. Absolutely. So how can people find you to learn more? Um, Where's the best place to follow you or to look you up? You know, what should they do? Sure. Um, yeah, I love chatting with folks about coaching. So please reach out early and often. Um, probably the best thing to do is to connect with me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Jay Ippolito on Twitter. Um, that, through Twitter, you can find my TED Talk and you know my visualcv.com. That's where you can really get all of my publications. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, amazon.com, you know, my author page there for my books. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm blessed with a, a unique name. So if you put my name into Google, uh, I'm the one who comes up. So <laughs> please, uh, please feel free to reach out early and often. I'd love to connect with people. That's great. Thank you so much for, for talking to us today. Um, I really appreciate you taking your time to share this with us because I think it's so powerful. Well, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun and uh, looking forward to keeping the conversation going. Yes, absolutely. Was he not just the best? I mean, seriously, that information I thought was just dead on. The coaches that I know who struggle the most, it's often because their leadership doesn't really have a true definition of what coaching can be or that they're just not on the same page. So I'm so thankful that he shared that information with us today and gave us some things to think about, about creating this strong coaching culture um, and that you got to benefit from that. (laughs) So check the show notes for those links that JC shared. I'm going to drop them in the show notes to make sure that you have access. And um, I also have, he mentioned it in his conversation today about using a coaching menu to actually provide um, support for teachers and knowing exactly what you do. And I have a download of a coaching menu that I would love to share with you. So what I want you to do is whenever you go to, you're going to go to buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 66. So that's going to be slash episode with a capital E and then the number 66. And you can actually download 
that free coaching menu that you can then turn around and use with your teachers to explain exactly what roles that you are able to serve on your campus. You can also use it as an inspiration for creating your own coaching menu. So this is a, a already done document. You just download it, print it out, and you're good to go. And that's at uh, buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 66. Next week in episode 67, I'm going to be talking all about how to prepare your coaching office or coaching space. And I know everybody has different spaces and different sizes and different roles, but there are certain things that you're going to want to have in there and certain things that you may want to have in there. And we're going to talk all about that next week. So until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.